All right. Revelation chapter 3. We're going to I'm going to read through the same same routine. I'm going to read through the whole chapter. And then we'll go through each verse and uh, talk about it and see what we can get out of it. Um, in case you haven't or you've forgotten um, what we've been talking about the last couple times. Uh, this started off as an introduction to John writing this letter and he gets a, a vision um, from Jesus. He's out in the day and, and he says he's just about on the Lord's day and then suddenly the spirit um, came and just... Um, showed him a vision and there was angels and there was Jesus was there and it was just this whole thing and and Jesus told him to write to these seven churches which we were reading about in the last chapter we read uh, about four of the seven churches and then in this chapter we're going to read about three or the last three remaining churches um, that he's supposed to write to and the first four churches did not have a very good testimony <laughs> they all had something very wrong with them that they had to be checked and they had to be changed on, and uh, these three these three churches are no different. So, I personally like, uh, I mean, I like the, the the emphasis that that Jesus is putting on these these other these other four churches, but these last three churches and, and the way that he's describing them, I think they mostly resemble the churches today. Um, I think all of them do, but these ones are the ones that I think resemble the most of, of what we experience today in, in church. Um, in modern churches. Verse number one. He continues, and he says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, and that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful, and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a, as a thief, and thou shalt not know that what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Before I continue on with the rest of the verses, I, I want to just say that um, I'm going to talk about uh, post and pre-rapture pre and, and kind of the concepts and ideas of that. And I'm not going to have like a full like... I'm not going to be able to just, you know, rip Bible verses here and there. But I will be able to tell you some things... What I believe and in, 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 in some things that I think it's trying to say here on top of the idea of um, pre uh, pre um, destination pre what is it pre where you where God knows who's going to be saved before they're saved. Um, I can't think of the this just blanking my mind right now. Um, but anyway, we're going to be talking, huh? Predestination. Yeah, predestination. And, uh, and a little bit about that in regards to this, because it, it speaks a little bit about that when it says here um, that, that he, he's not going to blot out his name out of the book of life. That means to literally take ink and just put his name out of the book of life, so out of salvation. And we'll, we'll talk more about that. But verse 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, 
These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen. In case you didn't know, Amen means uh, so be it or let it be done. Uh, so these things say the let it be done. <laughs> in other words, God, he's, he's the one that, that makes things, he finishes things. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, but thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Any questions before I uh, dive into this revelation, this chapter? All right, let me move some things around here. I'm gonna, no, we're just, we're gonna go through chapter three, what we just read in chapter three. We're gonna reread it, but we're gonna get a little more in depth here. Any questions, Melody? No? All right, so we started the series in Revelation chapter by chapter, and, and things can get lost if we don't pay attention because each chapter feeds into the next, especially these two chapters when we're speaking about the churches that they're supposed to be writing to. The first chapter really set the tone for how these letters are going to go for these churches. John is told to write uh, to seven churches. Um, he's, he has seven different letters that he's supposed to write to seven different churches throughout Asia Minor. He is commissioned to take it, take in every detail possible by by Jesus. Je Jesus tells him to, to write these things uh, and pay attention to what, to what these things are and, and, and put them into the letters and then write them. And then told by Jesus specifically what to write. 
The second chapter starts the first letter to the first four churches. These churches were model churches of what not to do. And Jesus warns them of their successes and their failures, preparing them for what the future is going to hold. This chapter finishes the letters to those specific churches before getting into the hazards of the future churches that don't follow these simple basic structures of godly order. And honestly, as simple as these structures are, um, they're nothing new. And uh, there will always be churches who completely uh, ruin their testimonies and God's perfect order for the world and for the faith. And this is why it's important that we soak in the words of John and Jesus here concerning these churches. We're already seeing these warnings being ignored, and we're seeing the consequences of what happens when they are ignored. Um, not just during that time when these were written and, and for these churches that this, this was written for, but even during this time in which we live in and, and seeing all of what's happening in our churches today. So we, we jump into first one, and it says, And unto the church, or unto the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. So uh, I want to start off by t mentioning the seven. The, the number seven always attributes to the all-powerful of God. Seven is known to be God's lucky number, and, and we'll, we'll get more into that as we progress because he's going to use seven um, as, a, as a more frequent number throughout the next few chapters. Um, but it's seen through much of his word, always representing his love and power uh, over us. The number seven is said to attribute to perfection or completeness. Uh, we know that the Holy Spirit is one person, for instance. In Ephesians 4, in uh, verses 4 through 6, it says, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And we also know that there are three attributes of God in God, in the Godhead. That's it's called the Trinity, or we call it the Trinity. It's, Trinity is not a Bible word. You will not find Trinity in the Bible. Um, you won't find rapture in the Bible either. And uh, you won't find, uh, there's actually kind of quite a few words you are not going to find in the Bible. Those are all words we made. No, we use, um, we use those terms to describe the things that we're going to uh to, to experience. So we're, we're told we're going to be caught up in the air. We're not told we're going to be raptured up in the air. And that's, that's not what we, we use those words to describe those things. Um, and then we see that John often references God's completeness with the number seven almost entirely through Revelation, um, but several times before. We will see this several times again. And as, as he mentions such things as like seven torches of fire or, or seven eyes or seven heads and so on and so forth. And he, he uses, uh, he uses uh, seven to also describe uh, Satan as well, but we'll, we'll get into that later. These descriptions are supposed to show God is all-powerful and all-knowing and tried and tested seven times through uh, and proven continuously. But then we get into verse two and it says, as he continues to write to this church, be watchful. And strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. So take those things that, that are still there, because he, he's basically saying, your church is almost dead. You've almost killed your entire church, but there are still some things there that are alive, 
and be watchful for those things and then strengthen them get them back so that way the rest of it can be strengthened you still have a chance it's not completely dead yet this church is close to death but not there they're close to never experiencing revival again christ can revive them if they would let him and we too can experience the same style of revival in our spirits and bodies if we would just let christ revive us if we would just allow him to to work in our lives and we're close to death but christ is giving us a chance to take a spirit of revival start fresh and build stronger and do something that's better for him god gives us commands frequently through his words he says to be watchful to be vigilant to be sober to be on guard to be ready and a church that isn't anticipating the lord the lord's will and his word, or even the Lord's coming again, is not a church that is ready for the Lord's use. Verse 3, it says, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt, know, shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. You cannot lay hold on Jesus being a sinner. When we think of being robbed or uh, we think of uh, someone being a thief, uh, we think of them as the bad guy. And yet, Jesus has every right to allow a church that doesn't show forth in, in, in faith and love to die. He's allowed them to be destroyed. He has, he has every right to steal the life of that church so that it doesn't continue on to destroy more lives. This term for thief is used several times in the New Testament, um, and, and, it, and it gives uh, kind of credence to how, how Jesus is going to come. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 39, it says, In this know that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and, and verses 2 through 4, it says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that, they, uh, that, they, that the day should overtake you as a thief. In 2 Peter 3.10, it also says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. These are all... All three of these are different people telling telling about uh, Christ's return as coming as, as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with the great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Jesus is coming as a thief. We don't know when he's coming, but he's coming quickly, and he's coming to, to take what is his, uh, to rightfully take and then leave behind what is not or leave behind what uh, is broken um, and so Luke Luke mentions it Paul mentions it and Peter mentions it and Jesus only robs those that are not prepared for him those that feel robbed in fact by Jesus never actually knew the value of their eternity didn't actually know their own value they never actually thought they would be robbed of it how sad of a thought if this is said about the church that we attend. How scary it would be if we were involved with a near-death church that 
just simply won't turn to Christ in faith and assurance. And how miserable we would be for not loving Christ while we have the chance to. Then verse 4 says, Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now John usually writes um, extremely encouraging and informational letters. But this letter has to be inspired because John is not exactly using the same terms as little children for these people in this church. Jesus obviously will have enough and is giving fair warning to the churches to act up and start using the church as a church rather than a pedestal. And there will be a few names <coughs> that are there that will know better, but a few and many are far apart from each other. If, if Christ won't have many, may we be one of the few. And may, might I also add that as we read through Revelation and, and as we get deeper into the destruction parts of Revelation, God gives second chances over and over and over. Pe these people still have a chance to be saved. Even during the end of the world, they still have a chance. <coughs> and these people won't be. And then uh, verse 5 says, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Now, I won't get too far into the meaning of the book of life and our names being blotted out, but I will say, I don't believe that Jesus will blot any name out of the book of life. I know he says here that I'm going to blot out their name from the, or I won't blot out their name from the book of life, but I don't think that Jesus can do that. I believe that our names are written before the foundations of the world. I believe that God knew from the beginning who would be saved, wrote their names down, and it was secure ever since then. And, and I believe this for a few reasons. Uh, Ephesians 1.13 tells us that, that we're sealed in the Holy Spirit of promise. But uh, I want to go through a few verses that, that kind of clarify this, this same example. Revelation 13.8, it says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of, the, of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Their names were written from the foundation, and Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. Think about that for a second. The way that this is worded, it, it, it's it's giving credence and understanding that our names are written before the found before God even formed the earth, but also that Jesus Christ died before the foundations of the earth, before God created the earth. This was all planned. It was all specifically thought out and was all purposely built for that particular reason to glorify God ultimately. And then also in Ephesians 1, Verses 4 through 5, it says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Yet again, we are, we are chosen before God created the earth, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to him, according to the good pleasure of his will. And then in Romans 8, 29, it says, For him, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. He already knew beforehand who was going to be like Jesus or who was going to be saved by Christ, that he might be the firstborn 
among many brethren. In 1 Peter 1.20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, yet again before God created the earth, but was manifest in these last times for you. Ephesians 1.11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And I, 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 want, it, I want it to be understood and I could go on, but I want it to be understood that I'm not I'm not speaking in in, in regards of a Calvinistic mindset that the things are you know everything is is in God's control and, and that and that uh, he just decides on that specific day who he's going to save or whatever the case may be and and if this is Calvinistic in mindset, I, I, it's not my intentions. It's not my goal. It's my goal to tell you what the Bible says, and the Bible is very clear. I believe personally that if god cannot know what is going to happen then he is not all-knowing he's not omnipotent and as we've been told throughout church history and throughout the bible god knows all he's all-powerful he's all-knowing he's everywhere so if that is the case then god knows who's going to be saved beforehand this shouldn't be too hard to understand or believe and it shouldn't be too hard to have faith in whether it's calvinistic or not the point is god knows all and we and that's a good thing because if he didn't know all we'd all be doomed i believe our god is wise enough smart enough powerful enough and organized enough to know all things all the time for all of eternity Planning each and every step of every single organism, person, and purpose throughout the oracles of our timeline. He can do that. And know this, because he doesn't bend to our perception of what time and space is. That is kind of what... what I like to study the sovereignty of God and for that particular purpose. Because that kind of mindset, mindset that kind of mentality of that God... God created everything, but God wasn't created. He just exists. That just blows people's minds to think that for God to just not have a start, right? Because everything has a start. Everything you see has a start. Everything builds up to something. Even the earth has a start. We have a start, but God has no start. He has no beginning. He has no end, yet he's the beginning and he's the end. He's He is all of creation, yet... He's outside of creation. He's all of time and space, yet he's outside of time and space. He doesn't have time and space like we do. We, we, we perceive time as in, as in seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years. But God, one day to, to God in, in our life, one day is a thousand years to him. It, it's completely mind-boggling for me to think of. Then there are those that believe that God puts your name into the book of life after salvation. So there's some that believe that it's before uh, the, the foundation of the world, and then there are some that believe that, that your name is put there after you're saved. Your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. And there is merit to accept this idea as well, which would rule to the idea that God can and will take your name out of the Book of Life. And I'm, I'm going to clarify that as well. But Exodus 32 and 33, Moses is pleading after seeing all of the sin of these people. He's pleading with God, and the Lord said unto Moses, because Moses says, blot me out of your book. Take my name out. But, but God says to Moses, whoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. And then in Psalm 69, 28, um, David is pleading with God once more. He says, let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Um, 
by the way, we don't have, if I believe, and I don't want to sound like it's hypocritical here because God is sovereign and this is, this is kind of part of the sovereignty as well. And I'm trying to make it sound as easy to understand as I possibly can. I believe if God wanted to, and if God, because God is all powerful, he's all knowing, he's able. If God wanted to, I believe he could take your salvation away. I believe he could. I believe he has the right. I believe he has the power. However, because he sent his son to die for us on the cross, and because we know that he rose again from the dead, and, and we have accepted that and put our faith, and we pr repent from our sins, we understand that the Holy Spirit, as Ephesians 1.13 says, the Holy Spirit has sealed us so that we cannot lose our salvation. So our names are written beforehand. I don't think our names will be blotted out. I don't believe that God would do that. I believe he can do that, but I don't believe he would because of what Jesus Christ has done. Whether or not he writes our names in before the foundation of the world or after, I'm not God, so I, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you. It's either after our salvation or it's before the world was formed. I mean, it does, yes, but it also says that he can blot our names out. He can take our names out. And there's also people believe that because he can do that, our names were written after salvation. So I don't, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. I'm not God. But I could tell you what the Bible says based off of, of what I understand. Um, it's, it's all pre-written. Our names are pre-written. Um, and I don't, I don't think he would blot our names out. Well, Moses is asking, yes, in a sense, he's asking, he's saying, blot my name instead of their name, because they did the great sin, blot my name out for their sins, and Mo and God says, whoever sinned against me, him, will I blot out of my Psalms book. Says, Let them be out. So ask, so he's yeah, so he's, the, the people that are not yeah. saved, those, those, the people that are doing so heinous and difficult things. God says it in Exodus. He says, him will I blot out of my book. That's God speaking. That's not Moses speaking. That's God speaking. And then again, um, in, in verse uh, number five, which or number four, which we were just reading. Was number, no, number five. He says, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. That's Jesus speaking. He's saying, I'm not going to blot his name out. But that leaves, and there there will be more conversations about that later. But that leaves some people out of the question. So, however, these verses would attest to an idea or notion of uh, righteous anger, being so upset with someone or or others that you pray for their names to be literally taken out of the book of life, and that is literally what um, the the psalmist says here. He's saying, "I I just can't stand them. Please take them, take their name out of the book of life." I believe that Jesus would never remove our names, though. But I also believe that he, he does have the right and he has the power to do exactly that. Our God is not limited to our idea of justice and righteousness. And, and that is me say, even saying that there are Calvinists, I guarantee, that will hear this, that will be so upset because, oh, you can't lose your salvation. You're once saved, always saved. And again, I believe that, yes, but I do believe that God has the right and the power well, to blot out your name. Not exactly true. He knows what's gonna, he, he knows your steps before you even took them. 
so think of this back back in back in those days and and this is kind of what it's referencing to back in those days when you went to prison they wrote your name on a ledger and when you served your time and you got out of prison they took ink and they would literally blot your name out they would take it out that means you served your time you're done and in the same reference in the same instance god writes your name down and if you if you don't serve your time or you don't do you don't repent and you don't actually believe in the lord God has the right to block your name out. Right. Again, that's not up to me. <laughs> that's up to the Lord. I don't know. I don't know. I can go based off of what the Bible says. The Bible says that we're all predestined, and we're all, you know, we're all uh, written before the foundation of the world, and and, and we're all uh, guaranteed. Those that are saved today, they're guaranteed to be saved before the world was even formed. But I really have no idea. I, I think he has the right still and the power to do that. Because our righteousness and justice is not his. Our access to heaven does not rely on our desire uh, for moral acceptance. And it's all up to God. He saves us, not the other way around. And again, we can quote Ephesians 1.13, which says, in him, all, in him ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And I also want that to be noted too. You weren't sealed before you believed. You were sealed after you believed in Jesus Christ. So you, you don't have the Holy Spirit of promise before the world was formed. You have the Holy Spirit of promise after salvation. So there are some things that come after salvation, um, but I believe that salvation came before the foundation of the world because Jesus, or God, knew exactly who was going to be saved. And then uh, verse 6, it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, that's to bring this all back, because uh, maybe, maybe Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen in this particular instance in regards to us getting off track. Um, so he's saying, those that have an ear, let them hear. <laughs> this is what I'm saying to the churches. So pay attention. And then verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? This is another church, different church. These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Further addressing what I just said, this term for uh, key of David gives reference to the fact that Christ has absolute authority to admit or exclude anyone he pleases from God's kingdom. He has authority to allow access to heaven to people and not allow access to heaven to people, some people. Isaiah 22, 22 says, And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and now sh none shall open. And then in Matthew 16, 19, it says, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Uh, as a side note, uh, can I just also just say, that, as this verse suggests, that Christ is able to open doors that no one can shut and, and close doors that no one can open. Some have said that you, uh, that you can force open opportunities from the Lord that you won't necessarily like. You can force yourself into a, posi a position or a situation that, that God is trying to keep closed on purpose. Uh, they told me, they, actually, they told this to me when I, I had the call to ministry before moving to Texas, um, and, e and even uh, in, in some instances to things in the church. 
I want it to be understood. We cannot overpower Christ's callings or openings for a Christian. We don't have that that kind of power. He is all-powerful. This verse insinuates that it would be impossible for us to close the doors he opens and open the doors he closes, for he controls all things, and it should be desirous for us that he controls all things. <laughs> Otherwise, we get ourselves we would get ourselves into positions we don't want to get ourselves into. So he allows the opportunities and he doesn't allow the opportunities. It's all up to him. 1 Corinthians 16:9 says, "For a great door and effectually is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries." And this is Paul speaking. He's saying, "I I, I have a I have an open door to to preach the gospel. I have an open door. God has allowed me to go into this situation and in this area to preach the gospel, but there are a lot of enemies there." Question? You raised your hand. I told you. Why did you leave the notes? You don't have to go back and forth. Just listen and read read along with the notes. And then in verse 8, continuing on, it says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Obedience to God does not mean power and strength obedience to god means blessing and usefulness you can have little strength and still have strong faith physical gain can never replace spiritual growth uh in fact i think i think our weakness is probably the best place for us to be when we are strong we perceive that we don't need god when we are weak we know that we need god we have no choice but to turn to him the more strength we have the more useless we become. First, or 2 Corinthians 12.10, it says, Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Our weakness is the only way to receive God's strength. Verse 9, it says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which they are, say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship for thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Uh, those people that are fake and those people that are not real, they're going to be forced to come to this church, uh, to those that are saved, to those that know Christ, and they're going to worship before God, and they're going to see how much God loves those that are obedient to him. And then verse 10, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. The key, I think, to Christian ministry is not speaking I'll say this so many people are scared to give the gospel because they're afraid they're not going to know what to say they're scared to to show their faith because they're afraid that they're going to get asked questions that they're not going to know how to answer may I just say being a minister means listening more than speaking You have to be a good listener if you're going to share the gospel effectively. You need to be able to ask them questions. You need to be able to let them ask questions. And then you need to be able to see their heart's desire. A lot of times when somebody asks you a question, nine times out of ten, 
It's not because uh, they were just sitting there and thinking, what if a Christian comes up to me today and asks me a really important question that I'm not going to know how to answer? I need to be able to have something to back up my testimony of not being a Christian. No, they're, they're not thinking that. In fact, you're the only one thinking that. How am I going to speak to somebody <laughs> that is an atheist? And what if they have a question that I don't know how to answer? If they have a question that they don't know how to answer, that's usually because they're going through something that they're questioning. You have the answer. You have an answer to their question, and really all you have to do is listen to their body language and be compassionate about what they're asking. Most times they'll say, well, if you know God is so good, then why does he allow suffering? That's because somebody in their life is suffering, or they are. They're usually not sitting there thinking, if a Christian asks me this question, I'm going to ask them this question. That, that's not how it works usually. They just genuinely want to know. Why is there suffering in the world if God is so good? So the key to Christian ministry is patience and it's endurance. It's listening. And if you do not have that type of spirit, don't minister. That's all I can say. Verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, thou hast and, not, and no man take thy crown. Uh, I've already kind of talked quite extensively in the last chapter about holding fast, um, so I'm just going to kind of skip over this first. But verse 12, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. Mind you, he says, the city of my God, the name of the city of my God is New Jerusalem. New Jerusalem is not a, a woman coming down from, <laughs> from heaven. I, I know you don't need to know that, but there might, there might be some that do. Anyway, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Pillars of the faith are getting harder and harder to find every day. Uh, we see so much of the world crumble under the pressures of society, and they leave truth and right behind to just appease the masses because they're tired of fighting, and they don't desire to cause disunity. So they try and unite every spirit with one another by saying we are all equally under the same God and whatever God you believe in, we can accept that God too. And I'm sorry, but if you have to, if you have to lie and cheat and steal to keep unity, then you don't need to unite with people who are okay with that. I think it's better to be alone, pure, and living for God than to be miserable, unfaithful, and untrustworthy living with the world. Verse 13 says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Those that understand, let him hear. Verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. The Laodiceans uh, were a somewhat wealthy city. Uh, they were kind of this, uh, the center of all imports and commercial gain so a lot of imports were coming in and a lot of imports were going out this would be like china <laughs> china was a good is a good wealthy city and it's wealthy in a sense of there's a lot of things going in uh, as far as um uh materials and a lot of uh exports coming out as far as i mean i i guarantee this thing is made out of made from china this probably came from China, more than likely. So, uh, the Laodiceans are, are are just a really uh, given city. They they had plenty of medical and, and textile supplies that would run for trade uh, in neighboring cities. They were well-to-do and extremely rich, but Jesus found nothing of value in it. 
That's what he says. He says, I, 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 don't, found, I don't find any, any value in you. America has become very rich in the resources we have accumulated, but because of our lack of faith in the Lord, Jesus may picture our country in a lot of the same ways. Verse 15, it says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. Jesus says, I know that you're neither, you're neither evil and you're not on fire for me. I would rather you be evil or on fire for me. And, and this is what he says in verse, in verse uh, 16. He says, so then because thou art lukewarm, you're in the middle and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I love cold water. I enjoy uh, cold drinks in general. I, I know that if um, evil were to get me a, a drink um, on a hot summer's day and tell me that it was cold, but it was lukewarm or room temperature, I would probably hate that. I'd probably spit it out of my mouth, as most people would. This is not cold. You lied to, you lied to me. <laughs> this is not what I was expecting. I would desire to spit it out of my mouth. Maybe I wouldn't, but I would definitely desire to do it. But I would probably, um, I'd probably swallow it because I'm thirsty. But uh, I would pop it into the fridge to drink it later. Now, there are special occasions when I like hot drinks more than cold. I enjoy hot coffee or hot chocolate on a cold day. I also enjoy hot soup. Now, imagine going to drink your hot coffee or chocolate or soup and finding it room temperature or lukewarm. It is not nearly as enjoyable. I don't know if you've ever had cold soup. It's not as good. I'd have a harder time finishing these drinks. Jesus doesn't like his church to be lukewarm. He doesn't like them to just call themselves Christians but not actually do anything that is Christ-like. He wants them to either be Christ-like or not be a part of Christ at all. He's disgusted by middle-of-the-road religionists. He's not looking for a church that wavers on every issue of the world to try and please the masses and, and create unity as much as possible. Nobody likes a church that wavers. Either stand strong in your convictions and proven truth or back down from the church. We can't afford people to enter into spiritual warfare without knowing which side they want to be on. Which leads us to verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and had need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They didn't, this church didn't know who they were. This, this particular church in Laodicea, they were rich because they had so many things coming in, but they didn't realize that they're not rich. They're poor because they're lacking something. You look at, you can look at any artist or a famous person today who doesn't have the Lord who even if they were married and, and they had kids and they had mansions and they had all of this stuff, you just see misery in their lives because they're lacking something and they don't know what it is. You can have everything in this world but still have nothing if you don't have Christ. The worst kind of pride is one that thinks it's better off without the help of the Lord. A rich pig is still a pig. You can... Give the pig as much money as you want and, and dress him in, in, in as nice of clothes as you desire. But in the end, it's still a pig. It still goes back to the mud and it likes that and desires that. And we too 
are just but clothing the necessities in our life and we really just need to turn and change to God. In verse 18 it says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Only God can provide those things that are truly fulfilling, those things that can actually bring you back into the right stance. Anything we achieve on our own is but a flimsy stick compared to the mighty sword God can give you. And God will provide every means possible to give you what you need so that you cannot ever blame him for not being there because he desires everyone to know who he is. And everyone does. Even, even people that say they don't, they, they still know. Verse 19 says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. God rebukes those, God chastens those he loves. He gets after them. It's just like I get after Melody for doing stupid things. God gets after us for doing stupid things. If God is correcting you, it's simply because he loves you. I would worry if he doesn't correct you. In verse he, in Hebrews uh Chapter 12, verses 7 through 8, it says, if, if ye endure chastening, if you receive chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, if you're, if you're not chastised by God, if you're not um, uh, put in a position where God is trying to teach you something, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons? You don't have a father, is what he's saying. If God does not deal with you as with a son, then you are fatherless. We should take this personally. We should be zealous. We should repent. As, as Jesus says here, love God more and repent from not trusting him. Pray more and repent from not praying. Study more and repent for not studying. And then please God more and repent for not pleasing yourself. Or for, from pleasing yourself, rather. Verse 20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door. And I knock, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, will sup with him, and he with me. The invitation to accept Christ is still available. He knocks at the door, but there will be a day when he stops knocking. And we must plead with people to open the door now while they still have a chance. Don't wait until it's too late. Accept him now. Verse 21 it says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. Christ implies that he will allow some ruling authority to his people. When, when eternity comes, he's going to allow some of us to rule with him. We will not sit idly in heaven. It's not just a place of peace and rest. Christ will have jobs for us to do. And when we are faithful to him now, we will have greater authority when we get to eternity. In Luke chapter 19, verse 17, he says, And, and he said unto him, well thou, good, well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. This is Jesus speaking. He's giving a parable, but he's, he's letting them know, because you're faithful in little, I'm going to give you authority to be faithful in much, much more. In 1 Corinthians 6, 3, it says, Know ye not that we shall judge angels? We shall judge angels. How much more things that pertain to this life? 
we have to judge those things in this life. Second Timothy 2.12 also says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And then in verse 22, it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Christ reminds us once again to listen and pay attention. He reminds us that those that have an ear will hear. Only those that know him, love him, serve him, and desire to glorify him will have ears to hear his words in the proper light and context. And if we do not have an ear to hear, all of everything that I've just said will not matter. It won't make any sense. In fact, you'll get nothing from this message if you do not have an ear to hear. In which case, I do not look forward to the things that are coming. Because <laughs> you will not be prepared for any of it. Any questions, comments, concerns, or complaints? Do you have an ear to hear, Melody? Melody?